Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the fanfic World Without End by Sorted, the book To Say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Willis, and the TV show The Umbrella Academy. Welcome to episode 32, Save the MacGuffin, Save the World. Uh, I'm Alex, and I am Renaissance Italy. I'm Freya, and I am the future. That's it. I'm Macy, (laughs) and I'm the pre-Columbian Andes. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about time travel, uh, paradoxes, going back in time to fix things or possibly screw things up and then things unscrew themselves. It's going to be a little bit of a complicated one, I think, today, listeners. Uh, Just a little before bit. We get, <laughs> little bit, little bit, yeah. Uh, but before we get into all of that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I have recently read the second book in Elliot de Bodard's Dominions of the Fallen series. The third book's coming mm. out later this year, so I thought it was time for me to finally read the second one, House of Binding Thorns. Uh, it is excellent. It's about a sort of not quite post-apocalyptic, but kind of semi-post-apocalyptic Paris with fallen angels and magic and a Vietnamese dragon kingdom underneath the Seine. Highly recommend. I also got my hands on a very premature arc of ah. Docile by K.M. Spara, which I have been dying to read ever since Kellen told me about it. This book <laughs> was pitched, and it's been pitched on Goodreads as A Handmaid's Tale meets Gossip Girl, but I am going to pitch it to everyone as Captive Prince meets Pretty Woman. <laughs> it is a... Very good. <laughs> with plot required rimming. Pardon? With Oh, yes. Yes. There is quite a lot of sex in it. I'm very pleased. It is... A gay science fiction romance novel set in a close future dystopia-ish in which wealth inequality has become so bad that trillionaires essentially buy out the inherited debt of an individual in exchange for indentured slavery over a set term. And there is a particular medication called Dosaline or Dosaline which makes you pretty much forget everything that's happening to you and you just become this sort of like quiet and obedient and happy mindless slave and most people choose to take that so that they can just go through their 10 years or whatever of slavery come out the other end and not have any unpleasant memories of what they were required to do and it's about what happens when somebody goes into an arrangement like this and refuses to take that medication it's very fucked up that's it's great it's pretty dark it's pretty dark (laughs) Um, And I'm currently in the middle of Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube, which is the memoir of Blair Braverman, who you may know as the lady who posts lots of pictures of sled dogs on Twitter. So far, my review of this book is too many men, not enough dogs, but I'm only halfway through, so I'm hoping some more dogs will materialize. (laughs) That's a mood. That's a mood. Uh, And like... When you were talking about Docile on Twitter the other day, it reminded me of that one um, Suits fic. There's like a bunch of Suits fic along a similar premise where like... Oh, there is. I can't remember if I ever read it or if I just heard about it. But yeah, I think... I read the shit out of it. Yeah, it's actually a fairly... I've read quite a lot of fic with that premise. Like the social world building in this novel is very good. But it definitely has that very tropey feel to it. This sounds like so much fun. I'm excited. So um, I, this week, have kind of 
semi-accidentally agreed to help out with scheduling some programming stuff for a con mm. and it kind of ate most of my evenings but I have read one book which is my agent sibling Brianna Tynes's uh, Lord of Secrets which is spooky and creepy and full of magical battles and the mages are poisoned by using their magic and it's mm. a super cool like cost system. You know when you're world building a magic system, everybody's always like, oh, what does the magic cost? Yeah. Well, in this world, if you cast a spell and leave it running for too long, you are going to poison yourself. You'll end up having seizures um, and possibly dying or going blind. Um, so it's a very literal like toxicity of magic and it's full of skeletons. <laughs> Here's a, a cat again coming. Hello, cat. Hello, Babush cat. Um, <laughs> you know what else is full of skeletons? Yes, cats. Uh, one of the cats. cats are also full of skeletons. <laughs> I hate to break this to you, but so are we. <laughs> you know what else is full of skeletons? One of the books that I read this last couple weeks, which I will get to in a moment. I'm going to hold that one best for last. Um, I watched a bunch of BBC's Stardew Valley. Uh, <laughs> wait, that's not what it's called. Uh, Macy told me about this this British show called uh, Welcome to River Cottage or Escape from River Cottage. Escape or, or from. Escape to, <laughs> escape to River Cottage. Escape Whatever. from River Cottage is like the horror movie sequel. <laughs> Escape to River Cottage because he's like leaving London and going out into the country to be a small holder and have a farm and get raise pigs and plant crops and learn about nature. Before we continue, though, Alex, I need you to pronounce his name for me. Hugh is his first name, and his last name is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hugh Fernley Whittingston. Hugh Fernley Whittingston. Cool. Well, that's a long name and it's hyphenated. Anyway, uh, so that's like soft and cute and takes no brain power to just sort of consume. Uh, so I've been watching that in the evenings to relax. Uh, I also read an MF romance novel. Who are you? I know. Who am I? Uh, it's uh, called A Lady Awakened by Cecilia Grant. And it was really sweet because it had kind of a service top kind of hero <laughs> and a bossy grouchy heroine and they have so much bad sex and it's hilarious and really <laughs> cute and sweet and i found myself enjoying it so that's new and weird i don't generally read het i am not generally interested in heterosexuals uh so yeah but let's talk about some skeletons, because the third thing that I read this week was an advanced copy of Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Weir, uh, which is about skeletons and bones and a uh, young woman, Gideon, who has been the kind of adopted ward of this science fantasy kind of house of death uh it's like this Don't cult you spoil of... things for me i'm not i'm just telling you i'm not telling you anything it's just about the setup, it macy, like, it's isn't... fine it's just set up like this is all stuff that you learn in chapter one macy okay. like this is back cover copy kind of stuff i'm not gonna spoil anything for you okay. i wouldn't do that i would also wouldn't do that to taz because it's her book coming out it's true it's this like death cult kind of thing and they go on some adventures and they solve some mysteries and there's lesbians and it's super great and it has a whole lot of skeletons in it 
And when I finished it, I yelled a lot at uh, Taz about it in DM. And then I told her, I have one piece of criticism, and that's that there weren't enough boner jokes in it. That's and she told And she told me that her editor made her take most of them out. <laughs> I feel like it was probably a balancing act. Like, she was allowed to keep a certain number of memes if she took out some boner jokes. Because there There's are so, so many, many memes. memes. There, it's just memes all the way down in this book. It's ridiculous. I'm just sitting um, here, like, on the other side of a hilarious email mishap that is standing between me and having my hands. Yes, yes. On a copy of this book. Like, <sighs> I'm glad that we cleared up the mishap, and I'm glad that we can all be disasters <laughs> together. <laughs> Uh, but we also have some news. Uh, Macy has some very exciting news. Congratulations. Speaking of, dis- speaking of disaster bisexuals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I finished my first draft of Catalyst. I reached the Yay! end. This fucking book is 131,000 words long and I strenuously object to that fact and I'm pretending that it's That's false. like a book-sized book. That's normal. That's, That's a normal like book. I will find book. you. <laughs> I will find both of you. Listen, listeners, darling listeners, you have to understand, the book that I was signed for was 72,000 words long. This book is practically twice as long. It's like a book-sized book. book. I will fight you. I will fight you in the villages. 72,000 words. It's a very short book. (laughs) Yeah, Macy, the book that I am currently writing is going to be at least 100,000 words longer than your first book in its first draft. Conspiracy was 140. It's fine. I'm going to go back through and delete at least 10% of this book. It'll be great. All right. That's fair. That's That's how I work. But it's done. It's on the page. And now I just need to edit uh, some sense into my disastrous protagonists. Or unsense, I guess. Some people like more Mm. chaos. Eh, We'll figure it out. Very good. Yes. Yes. And we can also, are very happy to announce that we funded our first goal on Patreon. Hurrah! So thank you so much to everybody who has uh, signed up to give us a monthly pledge on Patreon. It means that now we can pay our beloved scribes for their hard work, uh, getting the transcription out to you guys on the day of release. And in exchange, Alex has made a few vaguely unwise promises. (laughs) They will, of course, be drawing a beautiful snick, sometimes in a hat, sometimes not for anybody who is pledging at a certain level. And yep. there was some also some amazing adventures with Alex's cat being dressed as a babushka on Twitter. I highly recommend you look that <laughs> yes. up. That was a good experience. But yes. also, most importantly for having <sighs> met our, met I don't our $200 talk about it. goal, Alex. Since we funded the scribes and met our first goal of $220 so that we can pay the scribes a stack of cash to transcribe every episode, I promised that if we met that goal once a month, I would watch an episode of the stupid stage magician show and record all of my reactions to it and put it on the Patreon so that all of you can listen to it because I'm a sucker like that. It's okay? True. It's true. And we are I- very grateful, darling funding listeners and all darling listeners, for bringing us this tier because Freya and I are also eagerly awaiting this audio screeching. Oh, yes. We're looking forward to being able to sort of power our houses on the sheer force of Alex's <laughs> outrage. I'm not happy about this. I mean, I am happy that the scribes are getting money, but I'm not happy about like what I have tricked myself into doing. So... That's great. Let's talk about something else. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about some... something else. Let's talk about some actually good news for once. Thank you to everyone who 
nominated us for the Hugo Awards. We found out recently, and hopefully the announcement will have been made so I don't have to edit this out of the audio. <laughs> um, but we got on the uh, ballot for the best fan cast for the Hugo Awards. We are Hugo finalists. So congratulations to my fellow serpents. Uh, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone who nominated us. Uh, we are amazed We're just slowly and dying. Like, yeah. you yeah. should have seen the keyboard smashing that occurred in our group DM. Yeah, I got the email. email. I got the email at like eight o'clock in the morning and I had been awake for literally 30 seconds. Yeah. And I looked at the email and I was instantly very, very awake. Yes. And <laughs> yes, well, that was less convenient for me because Alex then slammed into this private Slack channel, told me <laughs> that I was, I still had to be awake and I had to come and look and it was 10.30 yep. PM and I was instantly awake <laughs> and remained so for the next two hours when I was supposed to be asleep. <laughs> look at your email. Look at your goddamn email. I woke up at fucking 6.30 in the morning, saw this in my email summary and instantly teleported about three feet in the air <laughs> like a cat. <laughs> so needless to say, we were all very shocked and surprised. Uh, I think about this and I start trembling with adrenaline a little bit, even now, even right now. So yeah, we're kind of a, a mess about this, but we are so excited and um, yeah. we just want to live up to the amazing things that you have expected of us. With yes. dignity and With poise. Dignity. <laughs> dignity and poise and sparkly outfits. We are all going to be at Worldcon. We are looking forward to decking ourselves out in our serpenty mm -hmm. best. And myself and Alex will hide behind Freya and Freya can be all the dignity for both of us and it will be great. I am That's planning true. on very That's... large skirts. I could possibly hide you beneath. We will them. hide behind. There we go. Uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Can you imagine? Anyway, y'all, let's have an should episode. Should we have a fucking episode? <laughs> we should have a fucking episode because we've been chatting for way too long. Um, I just want to give a small shout out to Essie Jones on Twitter, uh, who actually submitted a question about time travel fix it fix for our episode 30 extravaganza. It was very, very hard for me not to blab to her about this upcoming episode. Yes, it was very, uh, one might even go so far as to say prescient. Prescient, yes, indeed. Perhaps um, as if so someone have... had gone forward in time and listened to a certain oh. episode and then come back. Oh, 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 wow. I had not thought of it that way. Well done. <laughs> well, congratulations, S.E. Jones, for being the first time traveler. Uh, <laughs> tell us your secrets. Yes. Uh, I have a small taxonomical notory discussion point before mm -hmm. we go on. Uh, let's take a brief moment to talk about the differences between uh, time travel fix-it fix and Groundhog Day loops. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I can see, the main one besides the obvious, the Groundhog Day loop repeats, is that in a classic time travel fix-it, uh, you know what thing you need to change, so you have a goal. So the self-discovery aspects are kind of secondary and unexpected. That's something that happens as you go along. Uh, whereas in a Groundhog Day loop, it's the opposite. Like you need to do some kind of piece of self-discovery self in order to break out of the loop. And the other things that you discover along the way are sort of things that you discover as you go along. Do you guys notice any other differences between the, the two? Yeah, I would say that the main thing is the weight of importance on an individual action. Because in a Groundhog Day loop, obviously, once you, once you know that you're in a loop, you can start relaxing and playing around with things and doing things that you know will have no consequences. And that's part of the fun of that kind of story. 
Whereas if you're in a time travel fix it, you already know that you're in a situation where the smallest action that you take could have vastly wide ranging consequences. And so you, there's this enormous pressure on the decisions right. that you make and the actions that you take. And I think that for me, it's also a spectrum, right? There are a lot of fix that kind of sit somewhere in between the loop and the fix it. Um, so uh, disclaimer, darling listeners, um, I've read a lot of Anne McCaffrey books in my life. I've read all of the Anne McCaffrey books in my life. It is entirely plausible that I have read more time travel word count than I have read Anne McCaffrey word count. And Anne McCaffrey wrote a lot of books. Uh, yeah. so, so that's a lot of time travel. But um, Naruto in particular likes to do this thing where there is a reset loop, but it's not of fixed length. And you are it is like a fix it, go back in time to fix a thing. It's just that you go back every time you die. So that's kind of like somewhere halfway in between the two. And I think there's a really yeah. wide range of time travel. But I think what we're saying is that this episode is focusing a lot more on the pure single time travel, one hop back in time thing, mm. as opposed to our previous episode, whose number I forget. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a book coming out from Tor.com that I actually saw just the tagline of it. It's an Alastair Reynolds book, which is essentially a climate change fix it. It's called Ooh. Permafrost, and the tagline is essentially sums up beautifully what this trope is about. The tagline of this book is "Fix the past, save the present, stop the future," and that's more I or less. I didn't know that was that book. <laughs> that's more or less what this trope is, and I think that's that's a good summary. That's that's why we like it because it's essentially about yeah. there's something happening, you have to stop it. Save the cheerleader, stop the apocalypse. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and like the the cool benefit of that is that like once you have a character who knows, who has the information about what is going to go wrong and how it's going to go wrong, it gives them a lot more power and agency to fix that thing rather than when they're just guessing. What do you think? I find that for me, the time travel fix that are more interesting are the ones where the protagonist may think that they know what the fulcrum is, but in practice mm -hmm. there are lots of things that comprise the fulcrum and they have to keep kind of working around it and trying to figure it out. Because I think that once you change one thing, you're not guaranteed to have fixed everything and there's generally a lot of echoing consequences. So I like it when yeah. they don't know exactly what to do. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. I think that's a personal preference though. Yeah, yeah. But like still, the, the more information that a character has, the more agency they have at least or that they think that they have hey. to like go out and, and do things and find plot mm. you know uh at least like that's a thing that i um find challenging a lot in my own work is like to get people out the door to like be go do things like they need to find the information first the answer to that of course is to write more lesbians of course i mean yeah like <laughs> Of the lesbians that I have written, yes, they run out the door all by themselves and I end up having to chase them down the street to, uh, to <laughs> slow down. Let to me be catch clear, up. this is specific to Alex's lesbians. <laughs> yes, true. Um, so let's uh, talk about a couple of our tent poles. Uh, Freya, did you have another point that you wanted to make before we go on? Yes, I was going to say that the reason this trope appeals to me is because the stakes can be so variable. They can be really small mm. personal things or they can be really, really huge and I think it's such a wish fulfillment fantasy. This is why this trope yep. really digs into us because it can be as small on the level of that, oh, I wish I'd you know done this slightly differently. My life could have been better. And as big as, well, the planet is fucked. Let's go back <laughs> and see if we can do something about that, which is clearly where the climate change idea is coming from. 
But yes, let's talk about some tentpoles. Alex, you were going to introduce our first one? The first tentpole is a Dragon Age Inquisition fic that I discovered. I don't know if you remember last uh, spring, dear listeners, those of you who have been with us that long. uh, The few three or four episodes in a row where I was just like, I didn't read anything this week except Dragon Age Inquisition fic. (laughs) That's all I've been reading. Um, This was one of them. Um, It is a time travel fix-it fic from Dorian's perspective, mm-hmm. and in this fic, if you are familiar with the game, there is one, it does require a lot of canon knowledge, I think, um, but there is a quote-unquote bad ending in the game for one of the characters, uh, and in the first chapter, this happens, and Dorian is heartbroken and decides to go back in time to stop it from happening. Pretty classic, you know, pretty classic. Um, This is one of the best uh, time travel fix-it fix that I have ever read. I do want to give a disclaimer. It is full of porn. I did not remember when I recommended this as a tentpole (laughs) how much porn there was actually in this fic. Would you like to actually give the name of this fic? I think I did, didn't I? No. Sorry, no, I did not. Well, my bad. Um, (laughs) The name of this fic is World Without End by Sorted. I found it interesting because it's one of the few fix-it fix I've ever seen that is both long um, and has such a personal, like, single reason for going back in time. Dorian's not trying to save the world. He is, in fact, putting the whole world at risk to do what he's doing. He's trying to save one person. Uh, And I thought that was really interesting. Yes, and, like, the whole time, he he doesn't know if it's going to destroy the world. Um, He... Is it's kind of selfish of him, like this motivation. Mm-hmm. Like he has no idea what effects this are, go- what effect this is going to have, but he's willing to give it a shot anyway, even if it means potentially destroying the world as long as this one person lives. Right. Uh, and that that's a really kind of tricky and complex motivation as well. Um, one of the things that I really liked about this fic is that it of the of the time travel fix that fix that I have read, most of them have been on a smaller scale. Like, it is one thing needs to get... Of the ones that I have read, Macy, stop making the face at me. Disclaimer, of the ones that I have read, most of them tend to be on a smaller scale, and most of them tend to not reach for let's get sexy about paradoxes. And this one doesn't quite go that far either, but Dorian at least, like, stops and wonders, like, am I causing a paradox by by doing this so a lot it is a whole lot of his self-reflection i, I really enjoyed this fic i didn't mind that it was full of porn obviously uh, <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, no, i had, a, very I had kind. a really good time i thought it was very well written i think when i was reading it i could feel myself recognizing or not necessarily recognizing things but being aware of the shape of beats and details that I could tell would be much more yeah. resonant if I was at all familiar with the original story of the Dragon Age game because the point of doing something like a time travel fix-it in fanfic is that you have a readership and an audience who is intimately aware of the old timeline, which is essentially the canon. So you don't have to run around yeah. explaining anything about what happened the first time or what has happened in the past. You can just plunge straight in with this assumed shared knowledge. And I could tell that it would be a very satisfying fic, all of these reflections and comparisons, if you are familiar with the canon. So I think it lost some of its impact for me just because I wasn't familiar with it. It is one where you would have to know quite a lot about the canon, I agree. I want to say that, was it M who had the Fenris, uh, like the the Solas um, time travel fix-it fic in Dragon Age? I think so. I am um, human shrug emojiing. I... I... I still have not read that much of this fic. 
in this fandom. There, there's a, there was another time travel fix-it fic that was very long in this fandom that was about um, an elf inquisitor going back in time um, to, with all of the foreknowledge of what was happening with Solas, uh, that also did some similar things with regards to going through the quests that were in the game, but it mm. made quite a different choice, which was to make enough changes that those weren't exactly the quests that you were going on anymore, and but actually writing them out in prose, as opposed to uh, this fic that we're tentpoling, which kind of just sort of gives the name of the quest and expects you to understand what that means. Which I think you're right, like it's more resonant if you, you're more familiar with the source material. Yes, yes. Um, this fic I think is more about, rather than wrestling too much with plot, uh, it is much more character driven it's much more about uh dorian's kind of self-reflection there's dozens and dozens of moments where he looks at the situation that he's in right now and recognizes it from the first time that he lived through it and thinks about the decision that he made back then and either has to act out that same decision that he made even though that's not the decision that he would make right now or takes a risk and makes a different decision uh, and it does mention a couple things off in the distance that changed that Dorian had no impact on, but most of it is centered on on kind of character growth, which is fascinating. It, which is a very uh, metatextual way of approaching this, given that it is a video game based around choice. Yes. Yes, very much. I liked that most of the actions he deliberately took in order to avert the death of his loved one were to do with meddling in other people's romantic lives. I mean, yeah, that, was <laughs> that was quite funny yeah. because, you know, yes. it's a quite a heavy and not necessarily dark, but obviously, you know, a lot of emotional impact. But he goes back and he's like, right, I, I might risk the world to save this one person. <laughs> How am I going to avert this? And essentially comes to the decision. He's like, I need to stop these two people from hooking up and then subtly shove this person in the direction of <laughs> someone else. And but he just goes about speak- doing that. But speaking of uh, time travel stories all about preventing or making other people hook up. Yes. Ah, listeners, our second tentpole this week is one of my favorite books of all time. I am very <laughs> glad that we finally get to feature it. This is the book To Say Nothing of the Dog by Connie Willis, which is a essentially a romantic comedy science fiction novel. <laughs> uh, in Connie Willis's... Do you want to... Talk more about it, Maisie. I cast some serious um, shade in DM at Freya about the sheer quantity of waxing poetic about Oxford that happens in the first two <laughs> chapters of this book. Because trust me, friend, that's just mud. It's still mud in Oxford. Well, he was time lagged. He was time lagged. But look, this is in the Oxford time travel series. There is a certain amount of Oxford baked in to the text oy, oy, oy. so if you're not- you have to understand that i nearly went to cambridge so i am like genetically <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot <laughs> if you're not familiar with it the oxford time travel series is a series of books in which around about now so around you know the mm-hmm. early 21st century we discover the secret of time travel and it becomes mostly used by academic historians in order to study (laughs) the past and the books are about the various adventures of students in the history department at Oxford and this one features Ned whose job has become less about research and more about doing what he's told by a very angry rich old lady who is funding the 
restoration of Coventry Cathedral and has become obsessed with having it completely immaculately historically accurate and is sending poor time-traveling students all around to try and gather details to make it correct. And so Ned is being sent back to the late Victorian era to find out about something called the Bishop's Bird Stump, which is this hilarious <laughs> MacGuffin that we don't actually need to know a lot about. Uh, it just gets constantly mentioned until the words lose all meaning. Uh, but they never had meaning to start with. They never with had meaning to start with. Uh, but he basically gets involved in various hijinks involving a fellow time traveller and a, a late Victorian house party and people who need to fall in love or not fall in love and a cat that needs to survive or not survive in a very <laughs> Schrodinger type way. It's very funny. It's very silly and full of coincidences and mistakes and comedy of errors. And it is a joy. I love it. I reread it a lot. It, it a is a delightful, delightful book. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it has the perfect amount of like what I think of almost as like a slapstick comedy routine that you see in some time travel stories where you do what you, you like put your finger in one hole in the dam and another springs a leak over here. So you have to stick your toe in it. Yeah. And then just this other thing happens and suddenly you're like spread eagled and wishing you had eight arms. I was going to compare it to that scene in cartoons where you have the Benny Hill theme going on and people are running across a hallway and like going through a door and coming out a different door and then coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. there's that many like things but with going a dog. on, and but, but, but with a dog to say nothing of the dog. Yes. Uh, so there is less about something being fixed in this one, <clears throat> as opposed, and more about there is something that has to happen, but it, what has to happen is a little bit grey, and so the person is trying yeah. to find out what it is in particular that was meant to happen because there is a clue in the diary of one of the people at the house who is an is she's an ancestor of of lady shrapnel was that right yes. yes so one of the girls yes. tossy is an ancestor of the rich bossy old lady and she has mentioned in her in her written her in her diary that something happens around this time that changes her life um and lead, leads her into a new path and for some reason that is tied to the bishop's bird stump and so Ned and Verity, the other time traveler, are trying to work out what happens and how does this person meet the love of her life and what is it that changes. And so they're running around with very small scraps of information, attempting to piece everything together while doing the Benny Hill routine. One of the things that I really, really appreciated and or found hilarious was the fact that um, Tossie's diary uh, is extensive but her handwriting is so bad that they have like a cryptographer working on it <laughs> yes <laughs> they can't they have like one letter from the man she's going to marry which is what all of this is about is like making sure she marries the right person but they can't read what the fuck the rest of the word is yes yep. yes and it's delightful it's just delightful is the word i keep coming back to because everything nothing is even though there are like pieces of this at a war story, like none of the plot is like deep or dark or heavy. No, it's just like light and fun and kind of a cream puff of a book in the best kind of way. I mean, that is the greatest compliment. But well, actually, no, I take that back because like the last kind of eighth of the book, the last three or four chapters where all, everything that has been set up starts cascading into completion get it gets you have to pay attention and you have mm -hmm. to remember every all of the information that you've been given and it gets kind of complicated and paradoxes and time travel and at a certain point you just kind of go like yes okay i, I believe you 
Yes. Yeah, it's a bit of a pu- it's a puzzle book, but you don't really notice it's a puzzle because you're so busy having cream thrown at you all the way through. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> one of the things that I really did love, though, one of the like more subtle details is um, you have the the mandatory, the requisite eccentric Oxford Don, um, who who through various hijinks ends up a lot tagging along for this romantic misadventure, but throughout the book he is talking about the importance of individuals and the role of the individual in history versus his rival who believes that everything is fate and like the movement of armies, um, and which is of course one of the key arguments behind the whole time travel genre, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found that particularly like oh, that's really fun and, like, genre-savvy to quietly have this in the background and everyone else just ignores him. I think Connie Willis makes some very good choices when it comes to this book because the whole reason you can have a delightful cream puff book that is not constantly putting you on the edge of your seat in terms of paradoxes is because she's baked it into the technology that the whole idea of time travel, it doesn't allow paradox to happen. There's this Mm -hmm. concept called slippage where if you try to transport yourself to a key point in time at a key place, if there's any chance that you being there will affect the future, you can't go. You get transported somewhere else in time or place uh, so that you can't actually affect that. And no time travelers are allowed near key spots in time so they can't. And it's almost it. as if the technology was sentient. Yeah, and they, they would talk about it in terms of the time space continuum being self protective mm. and that it keeps itself safe and you're allowed to travel yeah. around and observe things and mess around in small ways, but you're not allowed to do anything that would actually threaten the time space continuum itself. It's really interesting because this book posits kind of that there is one time stream and that everything happened the way that it happened and there's no way to actually change anything because it's already fixed itself. Whereas on the other hand, uh, World Without End, the fanfic, posits that you can have different branching time streams where you can go back Mm -hmm. and change something and just go herring off in a completely different direction. Yes. And that's a similar approach to the one taken in the next tentpole. Indeed. So we were going to tentpole for this episode, um, a small, like, three-minute fragment of the third Harry Potter movie. (laughs) But then all three of us tripped and fell over the past three weeks into this show called The Umbrella Academy. And after Freya hit episode nine out of ten, I popped up in DM and was like, hey, since we all accidentally inhaled ten hours of television anyway... (laughs) So The Umbrella Academy is a superhero tv show it's very whimsical and kind of uh, tim burton-esque take on superheroes um that's a good way to describe it i mean it's gerard way is in charge of this entire shindig it was never going to be um you know save the cheerleader right unless she was wearing black lipstick but the conceit of the show is that there's a house of siblings who are kind of adopted and brought together with superpowers and one of them disappeared when they were all about 13 number five um and the show begins when the father of the family dies suddenly and the remaining siblings all gather to say goodbye to have the funeral And suddenly a portal opens in midair and spits out this exceedingly ornery noir detective assassin 50-year-old in the body of a 13-year-old boy with knobbly knees wearing shorts and a school uniform who is number five who has come from the future to prevent the apocalypse. 
And number five is the best. They are all the best. Yes. It's great fun. <laughs> they are all the best except Luther. Luther needs, except, Luther needs except to go Luther, sit in the corner for a while, I think. <laughs> Luther needs to sit in a corner and think about what he did. Um, Maybe that's why he was sent to the moon. That's fair. <laughs> it's true. He has done some sitting and thinking. <laughs> it didn't help. No, it not made enough. Things worse. <laughs> Go back to the moon. <laughs> made things worse. Uh, this show is not a perfect show. Um, it has some issues around particularly how it treats the women. Um, yes. But I did find a lot of the stuff with time travel very fun. One of the things is that there is an agency of time traveling assassins who get sent back in time to kill whoever they need to kill so that the future will happen like it should i loved this uh, i love the idea that there's this time agency with partners of, of assassins and they're these really cool super agents and you'd think that most of the stuff that they would have to do to again protect the say space time continue and make history happen as it should would not revolve around killing people, but it seems like that's just their solution to everything. They're like, well, they have thing, a hammer. They have a hammer. Everything looks like a nail, essentially. Instead of being going back and thinking, well, how can we slightly tweak this one thing? It's just like, who do we have to kill? Bam. Bam. And I love the pair of assassins in the Umbrella Academy who get They're sent so after, great. The, after number five. What are their names? Hazel and Chacha. Hazel and Chacha. Yes. They are, Which is every the scene with them was my favorite scene. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's um there's a shoot up um in the very first episode that occurs in an exceedingly colorful donut shop and the soundtrack is the song Istanbul not Constantinople so which tells you everything you need to know about this show. Yes. It's committed to an aesthetic. That is true. But I wanted to talk in regards to Umbrella Academy about one specific pattern that I see in a lot of time travel fix it fanfic and maybe professional media too which is i am going to travel back in time because it's the end of the world and i couldn't make it any worse mm. yes and that's um when i was watching umbrella academy i kept thinking of the first season of heroes which mm. is also a superhero show where one person has the ability to travel in time and they go to the future not quite on purpose discover that there has been an apocalypse and then come back and try to convince everybody that this terrible thing is going to happen and we have to stop it. Save the cheerleader, mm -hmm. save the world. I love Hiro Nakamura. Uh, he is the best and the cutest and I want only good things for him the end. Okay, well now I need a fanfic where Hiro and number five like hang out. <gasps> that would go so badly. In different places <laughs> in time. <laughs> this would go so badly. I'm thinking that this is a, this is a big trope in two of the three of the big uh, time travel fandoms uh, on ff.net back in the day were harry potter so mm. you end up starting a fic in a world where voldemort has won and harry or hermione or somebody decides to travel back in time to fix it that's a very common starter or naruto where you know qb has destroyed the world or something has destroyed the world and they travel back in time because ninjas have magic powers so why not or sure. final fantasy 7 because Final Fantasy VII is all about, like, the world is going to end, you know, this this asteroid is going to crash into us or we're going to destroy the climate. Um, so you travel back in time and you fix everything. But fanfic has a tendency to put people in their own body back in time. And I think that Umbrella Academy is maybe the only, like, pro-fiction I've seen that does the same thing. 
you don't physically travel back in time. It's just like your your mind kind of goes back in time into your old body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've seen that a, a, few, a lot in, in fanfic. Does the, the Final Fantasy in Naruto, I, I'm, from what I can remember, Naruto doesn't, but it's just like hand wave ninja magic. But does Final Fantasy <laughs> VII have time travel built into the canon of the, of the show? Or is it just, again, well, magic's possible, so we'll just go with it? I think it's more the latter. Um, I think... I haven't played the game, but I've read way too much fantasy. Okay. I'm pretty sure that their magic is more of the like stabby fireballs kind. Because Harry Potter, that is as a canon, it definitely makes sense for time travel to be such a a common trope to be used because you've got the universe, the in universe gadget of the time turner, which is one of the things that most annoys me about the Harry Potter series is that she introduced the time turner in is book three and it's right? used so nicely in book three ah. it's such a beautifully constructed time travel fix it puzzle book and then shrug like we have all of the, yep. the ability to use this like incredible thing you know you can exist in different places you can go back and do things and they just don't so i can quite see why most of canon <laughs> a lot of the fandom rather was like well how about we do fix it it's almost always like them hacking a time turner in some way in the Harry Potter ones. Because you're totally right. I think she just re- didn't realise until after she'd written that book how overpowered it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It could have potentially broken a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, it is just quite ridiculous on retrospect that they just had this lying around and they're like, well, we can just use it for this little type A study nerd with a... That's fine. Nothing could possibly it's go true. wrong. This is a legitimate use of an incredibly powerful magical item. But you know what is a legitimate use of an incredibly powerful magical item? What? Wearing cool fashion because you're in a different historical era. Sorry, I'm just thinking about the, the director or the, like, well, I can't remember what her title is, but she's played by the person who played Madison in Grey's Anatomy. A- the Addison. Handler. Addison. The handler. The handler. As soon as she came on, the I was handler. like, oh my god, it's Addison. Hi, Addison. And she just <laughs> has this amazing, like, foofy coat dress thing and this incredible hair and wonderful lipstick. And she just sort of clomps yes. around the time space continuum in her high heels, being unruffled about things. Yes. And, like, sitting on broken ruins and. <laughs> yeah. I love her. Dramatically smoking a cigarette. She's yeah, my she's hero. fantastic. And I just, the Connie Willis has this costuming department for their time travel. <laughs> oh, yes. The, and I love it. Intimately familiar fun. to anyone who has ever come into contact with a real costuming department from a theatre about how <laughs> obsessive <laughs> and persnickety and, oh my God, time travellers are the worst. Please bring this back without holes. But like Doctor Who does this as well. And I find it deeply delightful um, Any time that I want, it, like I used to do role play on like Life Journal, and you would always used to have these like little tiny images of your character for like being your icon. And if you wanted a character to have like multiple different eras of clothing, you just picked an actor who had ever been in Doctor Who. <laughs> oh, that's fun, right? Because like think of all the things that Martha got to wear or that yeah. Rose got to wear. It's yeah. great. But we were talking a little bit about like starting at the apocalypse because you can't make it worse. I think that one of the things that we found in each of these tent poles is they deal with like what the consequences of making it worse might be in very different ways. Uh, what are some of the like types of things that we see in time travel as being the possible risks if you fuck it up? Well, destroying the whole world is one of them. Um, <laughs> just, just, just that. 
just, you know, all of reality unravels and it unmakes the universe and everything is terrible. And <laughs> um, smaller, I think people tend to go for like the big scary one like that. One of the ones that I really like is the multiverse uh, theory where you get there and you're like, oh, I must be in a different time stream. I've changed something and we're now heading off down a different leg of the trousers of time. Uh, which Pratchett does to uh, great entertainment. Yes, in Night Which Watch. book was that in? Nightwatch. Oh, Nightwatch, that's right, that's right. Yes, Nightwatch. But the one that I was Why did we turn for Nightwatch? <laughs> Sorry, continue. The one that I was thinking of here was actually the Astrolat fanfic, which, drink. Um, oh, yes, speaking I, of sulking on the moon. Yes! <laughs> ah! This is one of my, like, favorite Transformers fix by Astolat, okay? And that's saying something, because we tentpoled not this for our very first episode. Yes. Which this is it, Macy? I can try to find it. I wrote it down somewhere. Now I've lost it. And right I here. alone have escaped to tell you? Yes. Yep. Straight here. In which, like, the future lieutenant of Galvatron escapes back in time after they lose or kind of half lose the final battle he has escaped to tell you of the future dun 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 mm. and I think that's a classic time travel fix it right yeah it is it's yes. just going by the different streams rather than a single one right right yeah and then we have back to the future where the thing that will go wrong is you won't be born yeah that's a little bit I mean that's kind of a smaller scale of like unmake reality right like, because then it's your whole existence that is getting wiped out rather than the existence of everything. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's kind of, what's the word, maybe arrogant to think that, like, your one individual action could fuck up the entire universe. Um, so I think that Back to the Future is a much more realistic kind of way of approaching it. Mm -hmm. And I like the ones that even take it down to a smaller scale again. So what's at stake if you fuck up is the life of a loved one, as it was in... in the fanfic and my favorite sort of spin on this in fanfic world is mm. the fic by Speranza in Stargate Atlantis Shepherd's Law, mm. which is less to do with alternate universes and a single time stream. And of course, because it's Stargate Atlantis, you can do whatever you want and just say <laughs> alien tech. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so the I am very surprised <laughs> that they didn't have a time travel fix it episode. <laughs> so the <laughs> alien tech in this particular fic is a box that someone gets put in and essentially the box goes through their entire past history while they are in it and attempts to kill them at every possible place. And <laughs> so what happens is a time traveler's wife kind of scenario where Rodney has to travel to different points in John's past and meet him at lots of different ages and attempt essentially stop him from dying over and over and over again. <laughs> because if he does die in the box, then he's dead. But also by doing that, every time he interacts with, with John in the box, he is changing John's past. Hmm. Like the actual memory that John has of his past by the time John wakes up is now completely oh, different. Because it's not because like it doesn't change the world. It doesn't change it the world. It just mind. changes him, and that's mm. cool. Yeah, and it's not that he wakes up and is like, "Oh wow, those things that happened to me long ago—that was you all along." Like he thinks that because by going in and ma making these actions, he is actually changing this one person's past in order to save them from dying. It's a great fic, of course. It's Speranza, 
So a nice, tidy, kind of limiting way to do it yeah. so that you don't have to deal with all like the cascading effects. No. Um, one of us, I don't know which one of you wrote this down, but I want to talk about it because I fucking love it. Uh, yeah. One of the cool tropes that fanfic has developed around time travel, your loved ones who do not love you yet think you are weird and clingy. <laughs> I do fucking love that. I thought you might. I would, yeah. yes, yes. And I, I wrote correct. the dot point after that, which was, if you've got a time travel fix it where you are going back and you know everyone around you, especially your loved ones, much more intimately than they know you because you've already lived through all of these experiences and you've had all these bonding experiences, you do end up with a bit of an imbalance of intimacy power within the relationship. And we talked about this when we were talking about our Groundhog Day ep, is at the very end of a Groundhog Day story, the person who went through all the loops is at an advantage in terms of yes. knowing everything about the other person. And I did quite like how they managed this in the Dragon Age fic that Dorian had huge amounts of personal knowledge of everyone <laughs> around him. And look, he was trying really hard not to take advantage of that. But at the same yes. time, as soon as they started having sex, he's like, do I just, do I like deliberately fuck up? Like, do I pretend like, not to know that you like this? Oh my God, this is so confusing. <laughs> Whereas I, because I am uh, predictable, immediately went to Archive of Our Own when we were planning this app and started reading every time travel fix-it fic that was really long and complete. And so I've been- Well, you totally had to. Like, you had to. It was research. You were forced to do it, Macy. Alex, I'm fairly sure Macy is sitting on a time turner. Very possible. I Which listen. she uses only no, okay, for reading have... multi-million word fanfic. And that is how she does it. Nailed it. Listen, none of Nailed them are multi-million word. Most of them are no longer than 500,000. Um, but <laughs> what... <laughs> Weren't you is... just complaining? Wait, 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 wait. We have to it take a second count. to put Macy on blast here. Weren't you just complaining that your novel was too long because it, it was 130... Listen, okay. you don't understand. Nobody who is writing a 400,000 word fic is editing 400,000 words. They are editing True. one 10k chapter at a time and then they're leaving it and moving the fuck on with their lives. Unfortunately, I don't think Kirsten will let me get away with this. Well, yes. So, returning to the intimacy with loved ones thing, uh, there's um, a Naruto time travel in which Sakura's memories travel back to time in time when she is four years old. It's called Time Flies Like an Arrow and it's very cute. It's kidfic. Except what you have is a tiny four-year-old with, like, ninja superpowers wandering around and hugging everyone she meets because they're all her best friends in her mind in a ninja village. And all of these adult ninjas are like, why the fuck is there a tiny pink toddler clinging to my knee? That's adorable. It's, it's adorable and, like... It's adorable. I don't know. I feel like it would just go dark quite fast. The same issue with, like... Having the Pevensies live through their entire adult lives and then get shoved back into their yes. childhood so bodies. She doesn't she she hasn't entirely gone back. She's just kind of getting some memories coming through. And I will admit the fic has her like in front of a child psychologist after five chapters because everybody thinks she's got PTSD. Good. Um, good. That, that's good. <laughs> she does. I have an interesting mirror of this uh -huh. trip, uh, which is that everyone else has like the intimacy. It's like you're traveling forward in time rather than back. Interesting. Um, so like an amnesia fic. Sort of like an amnesia fic. So I'm thinking of this one Harry Potter fic, and I do not know, I don't remember the title of it. I want to say it was by Astolat, because I pretty much have only read Harry Potter fics by Astolat. But Harry wakes up, and he is in 
in and he realizes that he's in the future and in this weird future that he's in he is happy and he has a different job and he's very fulfilled and his he's not like brooding and in this unhappy marriage etc cetera, etc cetera. and he's in a relationship with draco yeah. and everyone around him has different lives and he is stuck there being the person who doesn't have the, who is at the disadvantage for like the different levels of intimacy right and he's kind of trying to move through this space <laughs> without letting anyone know that he's harry from the past who hasn't actually lived up to this point yet um i don't remember the title of it scribes i send you to go find it um well, but have a look at the document alex oh i wrote that like yesterday <laughs> Um, you're thinking of Turn by Sarah's Girl. Yes, and it's yes, not I actually am. time travel forward. It's to an alternate universe version. But it has a lot of those those similar tropes in that, yes, in the alternate universe at the same age, this has happened. And so when he goes yes. back to the old life, he is making everything happen, but it's just taking longer. Like he is actually the same age. It's about something happened that changed you're right you're right you're right yes but it feels like the future because when he goes back to his old life he then has to somehow make everything get to where he wants it to be and it takes (laughs) yes a lot of time and effort because he then has to go and find draco and be like guess what we should be in love and the draco in his universe is like (laughs) fuck off (laughs) (laughs) i mean mood it's a oh yeah turn is an amazing fic it's so well constructed it is extremely long it is a macy length fic yes it is I, like, resent reading long fics when people, like, have told me to is the thing. I like finding really, like, mediocre fic that no one else has ever read and reading that when it's long. I don't know. You're I'm a weird. weirdo. That, that is a I bit am. weird. It's true. I like just being, like, it's like being a hermit, like, striding out into the wilderness of fics that no one else has read. Uh, <laughs> but you, you two are reminding me of, like, another of my favourite tropes slash aspects of time travel, which is... The whole, I must keep my time travel secret because otherwise the universe will blow up or something and it's agonizing. (laughs) Yeah, I I have attempted to write this trope exactly once. It was a very, very short uh, Captive Prince ficlet in response to a prompt. And I attempted to, I started it and I thought, okay, so Laurent goes back into his own mind at this like turning point at the beginning of the books. And then I thought, you know what? He is not going to keep it secret at all like there'd be absolutely no point so he essentially just immediately tells damon three secrets that he could only know if they knew each other extremely well and then it's like i'm telling you the truth we're gonna like beat all of everyone around us i have secret knowledge let's go and that was as far as i got because i I, I was like "Hmm, how would this play out i'm like laurent is a very sensible person in in many ways he would just realize he has all the knowledge he needs to make damon believe him and they work very well as a team and they could just skip over the entire mortal enemies for a year part and yeah. just win. I don't agree that that would play that way, though, because Damon is an emotional human being. Oh, yeah, it would take a bit more than just sitting down and telling secrets. But Damon, when he is not thinking with his heart and his muscles, also does have a brain and would eventually, I think, be convinced. Especially because he doesn't have as much reason to hate Laurent in the books as Laurent does to hate him. Whereas Laurent yes, takes three uh, yes. books to get over his hate. Damon kind of likes Laura, Laurent by the end of the first book, although he doesn't really want to admit it. And he would have outright liked him if Laurent hadn't been a cast iron bitch at him from page one. <laughs> yeah, and so that's exactly why if you have Laurent time travel back to the beginning of the first book, you can just 
get things over with quite quickly because Laurent will just treat him well and they'll be fine. Damon is kind of a golden retriever puppy of a human being and is like willing to like you if you like him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But if we're talking about time travel forwards, this is reminding me of my favorite amnesia fic, which is the husband's amnesia fic. From person of interest, yeah. you can't just yes. call it the husband's on air, Macy. No <laughs> one can. else knows what I that can. means. I have. You and can. I will and you again. Will. Of no, course. You usually call it the wives show. <laughs> the, like, the husbands and wives some, show. Somewhere out there in the world, there is a lovely TV. There is a lovely fanfic of the TV show Person of Interest, in which Finch and John lose all of their memories and try to piece together from context clues what's going on and conclude that they are married. This does sound familiar. I remember reading this, but I don't remember anything besides what you just said. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, like that's kind of time travel. Uh, you know, losing like 20 year chunks of your life is time travel, yeah. sort of. It's like the opposite of fix it. It's like break it. <laughs> that's <fine>. Break it, fix. <laughs> Hello everybody, thanks for joining us on this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I want to say again how incredibly grateful and honoured we are to be Hugo nominees, so thank you so much to you, our beloved listeners. Not only those who nominated us for the ballot, but all of you who've supported us, laughed with us, tweeted at us, and let us inflict stories of frozen meat sales, kaiju reproduction, and the Heros Gamos at you for over a year now. For our next episode, two weeks hence on April 24th, we're filling our coffee mugs, working on our world-weary size, and breaking out our whiteboards covered in grisly crime scene photos, because the theme is police procedurals. If you would like to pull an Amy Santiago and read up on the initial briefing, one of our tentpoles will be the first book in Ben Aronovich's Rivers of London series. It's sold as Midnight Riot in the US and Rivers of London in the UK and Australia. So you can read up on that. As always, you can contact us with all of those questions, comments, and breathless adulations at serpentcast at gmail.com, and we're at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. And remember, we have a fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, we do have that shiny new Patreon page. Our next funding goal is being able to pay Alex for all the work they do editing the audio so that we sound smart and shiny and not too disastrous. That's patreon.com slash serpentcast. And by the way, everything's going to turn out okay. We know. We fixed it personally. <laughs>